You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie and I'm here with Christy. We've got our intro for today. Mm-hmm. What are we going to talk about? This is on you. This is on me. Yeah, she brought the, you brought the question. I brought of the, the day. question. Yes. Have you ever heard the phrase love the unlovable? Love the unlovable. Okay. I don't know if I've heard it specifically. Have I felt it before? Yeah, well, Probably. Let's not talk about feelings. <laughs> so when you hear that, does someone's name or face pop into your mind? Don't say it out loud, Debbie. I know you're so tempted, but don't do it. <laughs> don't tell the world. Don't tell the who world. Who my unlovable Who's person unlovable? is. Yeah. Can I say sometimes it depends on the day, but yes, yeah, specific people do pop into my mind. Okay. So then as you do that, then you're identifying who the unlovable people are in your life. And then how can anyone love someone who is unlovable? Anyone specifically or me? Since you asked you. Me. Well, anybody that's listening, right? Like we are, and this is, I'll tell you the history behind this. So about two weeks ago, I was challenged by a person that is a hard person to love. And I was like, I'm supposed to love you right now. I don't know what that looks like. Does it look like that I step into the space where you're currently at? Do I put up a boundary and not, but do it with a good heart, not like a, you bad you I don't like you insert maybe a bad word and there. I'm loving you <laughs> under I'm loving you under protest mm, whatever yes. with a bad attitude I don't know um how do you process that and so I came across different verses that talked about loving and loving and loving and I was like that's great we know all the how-to loves you know if you want to go to what first Corinthians and you tells you the list on how to love but then you want to see the actions on how do you actually do it. You look at Barnabas, right? He did an amazing job on loving um, Paul and then loving Mark well and doing that. And so I've really been thinking on how do you, I'm a list person. So love is kind, love is patient, right? So I can be like, well, it's all those things. And But then when you put in action, that yeah. is harder. Well, because I think. When you put it, I think, well, personally, I'll say one of the reasons I feel like the action part of love is harder is because it's kind of specific to the person you're trying to love. Well, that's a good way to put it. So if you, mm-hmm. you can't like do the same thing for everyone. So if you do tend to be kind of a list type person, you're saying, okay, this is how I can love people. Mm-hmm. And then you do the same thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. But it, life doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. And so that means when I'm trying to love my husband well, he maybe responds to different types of love differently, right? Or yes. my kids, all mm-hmm. of my three of my kids are different. So... Which those are not on your unlovable you know, list. They are not. None of them. <laughs> so, but some people, people that are hard to love, the unlovables, are their family. Like for me a long time, it was my dad. Oh, right. Like I'm supposed yeah. to love my dad. I actually do not like the man. I can't mm-hmm. stand him. And I had to learn it's okay for me to not talk to him for many years and still be like, he's, he's very unlovable. He was very unlovable. And for me, I was too angry to love him. So I wasn't in a place to even give him love. And so... Um, I'm going to read a quote. I love what Corey Ten Boom's father told her. Um, He said, Corey, do you know what hurts so very much? It's love. Love is the strongest force in the world. And when it is blocked, that means pain. 
there are two things we can do when this happens. We can kill the love so that it stops hurting. But then, of course, part of us dies too. Or, Corey, we can ask God to open up another route for that love to travel. Whenever we cannot love in the old human way, Corey, talking to Corey Tim Boom, God can give us the perfect way. Mm. And I thought, that was me growing up. Like, and even now, like learning to love the unlovable of like, oh, Lord, you have to love them. Mm-hmm. You have to give me the way to do it or you do it through me. I don't know what that looks like, but it can look like a distance with boundaries or it can be entering in that space where they are. But I thought that was a good way, a, a reminder that well, God gives us the perfect way. He And I think, well, and he demonstrated what it meant to really, truly lay down your life for people who were not lovable, right? I mean, he, <laughs> Jesus yes, that's did so that. so attainable to be like, I'm supposed to I die know. for yeah, you. I know. That's, that's, di- well, and I think too, like a, what stands out to me in that quote is the, um, part of yourself that dies. Mm. And I think of, I've worked with a lot of women. We both have at this point who have had very difficult marriages. And so you're talking to them about how can I still love a man who hurts me, put up appropriate boundaries and yet not kill the part of myself that loves people, even my kids. Like when you cut that off, your vulnerability, it mm. impacts other areas of your life. And so when we're trying to love the unlovable people in our lives, it's hard. It's a tightrope mm-hmm. because you're talking about sometimes having to put up boundaries, probably like you're saying you had to do with your dad. Mm-hmm. And also loving in a way, loving them enough to where you don't become cold. So part right? of you doesn't die. Like a you part said, of you like doesn't die. Yeah. And so it's true. Wait, because you want to be, be ava- it is your prayer and you want to be available to other people to love. Like there's still so much that you have to give as far as lo- loving other people and that God calls us to do, like you were saying all through scripture, mm-hmm. what that means to love, but actionable in the process. Cause I think what's hard too is the people that we find to be difficult to love are often the ones really hurting us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't like you say deep, those are the- deep hurts or right? just pta hurt yeah or pta hurt like i can't <laughs> be around media, her anymore Facebook because, hurt. yes and it replays in our minds over and over and it feels like it's happening uh-huh. all the time and so it's not even only about loving someone who's got a hard personality it's about loving someone who lashes out in a way that we're like we're making we're like showing them our belly yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. you're making yeah. yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. and to me that's I like the that, that you use piece. the belly and not your backside no, it's it's your for belly. you. It's your belly. Well, because that's your most vulnerable. Th- when a pet puts themselves on their back <laughs> and well, shows you their belly, that's the vulnerable part for of me, themselves. My belly's not my. I mean, my belly's not pretty, but my backside's way more vulnerable. Than my belly. <laughs> I think we were thinking about two different things. We so were. You're equating it to animals, and I, I take it personally. Like, oh, my backside's way more vulnerable than my front side to being exposed <laughs> oh to being exposed no. being i hurt. wasn't thinking about exposure i was thinking of, yeah like hurt like hurt is exposure same thing but your backside can protect your butt more whereas your belly you get in your belly you can get shot in your backside and still live you get shot in your belly it's very hard to live you're dying you're bleeding out true that's a good way to put it but i don't want anybody seeing my backside i don't care if you see my baby trophy on my front side it's gross but you can see it <laughs> So, so funny. We so went two different go. directions with that totally analogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, and Romans 12 reminds us, love must be without hypocrisy. Adore, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness and honoring one another. But see, that's tricky. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. That verse, be devoted to one another with mutual love. Mm -hmm. Because some people don't want to be devoted to the unlovable. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of break through what or or peel apart what does be devoted to one another mean. Because that's where the church and some Christians have been like, especially if you're in a, if you come out of an abusive relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever it looks like, whether it's when you were younger, you're married to it, you're divorced from it. It's a work. I mean, you could have an abusive boss. That, whoa, I'm supposed to, um, what does it say? Be devoted to that person with mutual love. Well, if there's not mutual love, you're not, you don't have to be devoted. Well, and I think we do have to be careful, like, cause that's, he's writing that to the church, right? Mm -hmm. And so these are fellow believers he's talking to. But sometimes those are the worst. I would agree. But it just means though, that's okay. I would agree with you. Sometimes we're not good to each other, but Mm -hmm. I, I think we have to be careful when we transfer this to like a work context if it might not apply the same way as it does between believers, like the devotion part. Because it's saying being devoted to one another. He's talking about people in the church. Be devoted to one another, to but your But back care, in the day, though, the church love. was living life together, too. I would agree the, with you. More yes. so in the workplace yes. than now. But I'm saying now, though, if you're working if in this context yes. now, if you're going to a workplace... And it's a non-believer. It's yeah. different. Yeah. But you still that's work with believers. Say. Yeah. Well, and that's true too. But if there's not mutual love. Anyway. Okay. We'll keep going. Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in suffering. Persist in, persistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. And bless and do not curse. I like how they said that twice. twice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Re- weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. So I think, right, the idea here is what? In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Mine is rejoice in hope, endure in suffering, mm. persist, persist in prayer. Because you have to have rejoice in hope and then endure in suffering. Because when you are being um, spewed on, by vileness from the unlovable, mm-hmm. it's hard to go, okay, time out, endure in suffering. I've got to endure this. But that's okay. I'm going to pray. And just like Corey Ten Boom's dad said, okay, Lord, I can't, I can't love this person. I legit don't have the capacity to love this person. You're going to have to do it for me. You're going to have to help me figure that, uh, figure this out, Lord, because I can't do it. And then that end, I think you hit on the, a big thing right there, because whether it's devotion between believers or whether it's Jesus saying, love your enemies Mm -hmm. either way there's love he's talking about needs to be cloaking those relationships that is kind of unfathomable to someone who's not a believer Mm -hmm. so right aren't those the things that set us apart it's repentance and loving people to such an extent Mm -hmm. that the world doesn't get it yeah it it doesn't get it but then first peter reminds us dear friends i urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-christians so that they, though they may, oh my gosh, so that they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. And there's love in the unlovable. That's right. But I mean, aligning and making sure that you maintain good contact. Don't let your belly show or your backside show <laughs> is really what he's saying. First <laughs> Peter is telling us that. Whether it's your backside or your belly, love the unlovable. Well, and I Romans 15 I have open too, where it, and the heading on that one is just the example of Christ. And it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, 
but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So, I mean, part of it is, you know, our neighbor, we don't know who that person is. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, he's not saying, I mean, he's saying each of us need to please our neighbor. We need to understand that we have an obligation. I mean, that's kind of a big word, an obligation to bear with the failings of others and not to please ourselves. Mm -hmm. And sometimes self-protection, you know, is a way of pleasing ourselves because it feels better. Sometimes I think it's valuable. I mean, I just don't want people to hear what we're not saying, you know, read into what we're not saying. We're not saying that you need to put up with abuse and other things, but we are saying, right. Or meanness or cruelty, you know, and there's a difference. You, your first line in Romans 15 was Mm -hmm. what? We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak. I feel like I could, some ladies would say, I'm not strong right now. Yeah. I'm not strong, but he's saying, Actually, you are strong because you have the Holy Spirit. Right. You've been given the strength because the Holy Spirit resides in you, because Jesus died on the cross for you, that you are stronger than you think you are. So don't ever allow Satan to tell you you're not strong because you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're. you're, He's putting the we is there for a reason. He's not saying I'm who's stronger. He's saying Mm -hmm. we. I mean, he's putting the church in that. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And we're strong because we have the spirit and you can call on him to to help you guide you and instruct you. Um, and just give you strength. Cause sometimes that's what you need just to get out of bed for some people that are living in a situation where they're living with the unlovables or they're going to go into work with the unlovables, or they're going to go to a family event with the unlovables. And it's like, Lord love them because I can't right now. Yeah. And again, that's laying down your burdens at the cross. Mm-hmm. That person's a burden. You got to take it. Yeah. It's so hard, but it's it so freeing, but it's hard. Yeah. And you don't always have to talk. You're not going to change them or fix them. <laughs> Don't talk. Yeah. You that can sit there advice. and just <laughs> just let them Walk, show their backside and you can sit there. It's great. <laughs> to say less is to say more in our house. <laughs> Which I wish they oh listened goodness. to that and applied that. That's a good know. question. I feel like we all have people in our lives that can be difficult. And if you don't, <laughs> I think you said this a long time ago. Did I? <laughs> you know, I remember thinking like, well, that hurts. And if you don't, if you don't think it applies to anybody, you might be the difficult one. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, and I was like, oh, <laughs> shoot, that hurt right there. <laughs> it's true, though, right? Like, if you're yeah. like, oh, I don't. Maybe uh. people are having to dance and walk on eggshells around you. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there needs to be some. <laughs> yeah. Process that one. I don't remember saying that, but it sounds like I could have. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it was in the context of the unlovables, but it was in yeah. context of something else. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, oh, that was good. That's good, Debbie. That's good. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm we glad to hear remember. that. I can't remember week to week half the time. So mm-hmm. well done with the memory mm-hmm. there. Okay. Well, we have um, a fabulous a conversation. We do. She's amazing. Up. Yes. And it's, it's not a fun ride. So don't mm-hmm. be like you're coming in fun, but it is amazing. Her ministry and her heart for the unlovable. Yeah. And What's for- whose society has said? is unlovable but who the lord's still they're always loves. lovable but where they locate yes. might be deemed as an unlovable location mm-hmm. <gasps> Ooh, cliffhanger now listen oh, that was good i didn't even write All that right. down oh, good job christy hurry roll it hurry because so this is it here's the interview all right so we're here with darla um so you're going to introduce our guest right christy i am it's darla elliott two l's two t's I'm sure you get that a lot. She is here because a couple of, I want to say a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. I was listening to her 
we were talking about something, but somebody said, did you know she used to, I think it was Susie. That was, of course, it's Susie. Uh-huh. Yeah, roll your eyes. She was like, have you, do you know her story? Do you know that she used to be a warden in a prison? And I was like, what? That Darla was a warden yes, in a prison. Did a that prison. come out in Bible study? You guys are in Bible study or something? Yeah. All of a sudden, did it's you Wednesday. Y'all been, how long have you been coming to Wednesday morning Bible study? Three years. Okay, well, the ladies... So y'all are kind of new because that's been going mm-hmm. on for like, they're like, we've been here 15 years or 20 years mm-hmm. or something like that. So you come with your sister and, um, the, we call them the sisters. There's the sisters. Here they come. They're four or five yes. years apart, depending we're, on what month you ask. We are infamous. You are infamous very much. So anyway, so thank you for coming today. I'm excited to hear pleasure. your story and it's great because I don't even know a lot of it. So this is going to be very much so. Do you know much about her story? At all? I don't. Uh-oh. Oh, good. So these are yeah. good questions. So you guys met because you were at Bible study and all of a sudden somebody said, hey, do you know her story? Yeah. You didn't. And you're always kind of percolating going, ooh, this would be, she'd because, be a great testimony for yes, the podcast. But yes. it took us two years to get her on here, I guess. This woman travels all, all the time. Over. That's what I was going to ask. There's a reason, She goes right? to Norway. She goes to Germany. She goes to Europe. She goes to Hawaii. She goes back to Germany. Let's go do this again. That was fun. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, she's all over the place. She's hard to pin down. So there was a season that we were texting and, or even, no, we're out of town. No, we're out of town. And she even tried when we were texting last night or yet talking she was like, well, we got to get ready for a trip. Great. Can you come tomorrow at three o'clock? Just, it's only take 50 minutes, darling. Just tomorrow at three o'clock. You are retired right now. I am retired. Yes. You have three different titles that we could call you by. Yes. What are those three different titles? Well, I started in the military as a lieutenant. Then military I was meaning like army, army, okay. military police. My father was military. He was air force, which I'm sure bothered him greatly when I got commissioned he probably rolled over in his grave as my mother said I was the last of the children so I got to go to school high school in one school and I graduated from Cedar Hill Texas I graduated from DeSoto I was gonna say y'all are close y'all are neighbors right there next to each other so my father who had retired uh, passed away when I was a senior in high school he had a massive coronary but my family couldn't afford college and so uh, when my father passed away, because he was medically retired, I suddenly found myself with a choice to make. I enrolled in college and got my uh, undergrad in, uh, at UT Arlington in criminal justice. And my minor is military police science. So from there, I was commissioned. And uh, the day I graduated, actually, I was commissioned. And then from there, I went to Germany as a lieutenant so and i then was promoted to captain so that's my first two titles lieutenant captain i was uh at the time married to a very very wonderful guy his name was jose palacios and um but when you're both in the military it doesn't quite work Mm. the way you think it will because you're really not together very much and so we were divorced when i came back from Germany I was in Kansas and then I was promoted to captain so my name was changed from Lieutenant Palacios to Captain Elliot and so I would answer the phone and I'd say Lieutenant Palacios no 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 Captain Elliot oh you got a double and they would say not only do you not know your rank you don't know who you are (laughs) so um, what and then uh I was there in Port Riley Kansas where I met my second husband uh who was also at Fort Riley, and he and I uh, 
both left the military at the same time and <clears throat> excuse me we moved to uh, Arizona where a friend of his worked in the Department of Corrections and we both went to work for the Department of Corrections in Arizona initially I ran their training statewide and then I moved into running units and became an associate warden a deputy warden and then a warden where I was uh, one of their 10 wardens for, I don't know, four years or so. What made you want to go into the Department of Corrections? For people that don't know, that's the prison system. Correct. That's a big jump from military to police to prison. Well, not quite as far as you would think. The military police do run the, if there are any incarcerated uh, soldiers, Mm-hmm. The military police are in charge of what's called the disciplinary barracks in Kansas. And at that time, we had a secondary, a lower custody, if you will, at Fort Riley, Kansas, called the uh, United States Correctional Activity. And I was actually stationed there. And my first, uh, if you will, wardenship mm-hmm. was actually as a military officer. I ran a prison of military inmates. What type of crimes well, are committed? Well, the, uh, the offenders at the DB are, are usually DB, all felons. The what? disciplinary barracks in okay. in Kansas. Okay. Last time I checked, I haven't, haven't looked at anything yeah. in a long time, but um, they're, they're all felons. Any officer who's convicted of a felony mm-hmm. and does time goes to the disciplinary barracks or used to. My first exposure to corrections was as a Army lieutenant bringing an escort of prisoners back from Monheim, which is where we had a, a holding facility, I guess, or a facility, back to Kansas. And they had to have an MP on each flight. So I, it was me and a uh, major who was, I think, an engineer. And then we brought back a plane load of, of uh, Army convicted criminals. Were you a so. little nervous being on a plane with those people? Like uh, it could be like Con Air. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> No, Mm-mm. not at all. The, oh, it, <laughs> offenders in the army are very polite. <laughs> oh, okay. Comparatively. So tell us some um, stories about being a warden. What is it like? What is a day in the life of a warden in Arizona or in Kansas? Well, as an officer running a uh, a unit of convicted felons, mm-hmm. uh, they were still military. Mm-hmm. So they had and not these been- are women and men. Ooh, good question. They were men, they were men. men uh, and uh, all of the women were kept in the, the more secure facility that we had. Uh, my two barracks, or three, four barracks, I don't remember what it was, um, was all male. Typical day, they did their chores, they did all the things, you know, we did. usually started with PT, mm-hmm. just like the, all the military did a run, came back, did chow hall, did all those things. They they maintained the facilities. They did all those different things. They would do classes and mm. whatnot. So it was an open, there was no fence around our facility, per se. And at night, they could go to the movies. They had a bowling alley. They had a recreation area. They were just stuck on base. Things. They were just stuck yes. on base. And they... And we had an opportunity as the captain of that facility uh, and the the commander did that we could put certain individuals back into the military. They could be kind of rehabilitated, if you will. Mm. 
And one of the things that happened to me while I was there is like, well, I got to go to the Army Master Fitness course in Indiana. That's another whole other story. But anyway, uh, while there, I was with a group of other students. We were there for a month. And I hear my name being yelled uh, by somebody who's kind of running up the hill toward us. And when we stop and this uh, private comes up and she says, I just wanted to thank you for putting me back into the Army mm-hmm. and turning, helping me turn my life around. That moment changed my life. That moment made me realize that I had found a profession, a career, a calling. So being able to say you made a difference Mm. in someone's life. And it's interesting because you're, this is on the military again. Yes. So in the military, this idea of rehabilitation through the justice system. Yes. Works. Yeah. Well, works in a way because of the people that are involved in the process. Right. It wasn't done very often, but it, to see that it actually had positive results was very, um, rewarding yeah because then you could say wow okay these are the things we need to concentrate on and we always talked about you know once you have an offender in being able to take them through a series of programming continuity of care if you will that would Mm -hmm. enable them to turn their life around so i just thought that was a really really neat opportunity for someone i mean how many people get to say that they had that type of an impact on mm-hmm. and it shows you life. we need good people working in mm-hmm. our justice system we need people who are willing to say right like you said this is a right. calling mm-hmm. i right. think that's awesome that's just such a neat story so from the military uh i when i met my second husband we both uh got out of the military he retired and he was a <laughs> he was a colonel and i was a captain uh, and it's pretty obvious you're not going to stay in the military at that point. So we retired, and his a friend of his was actually running the Department of Corrections in Arizona. And so he and I both were hired in by, the department by Arizona. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Was your husband your boss in the military? He was two levels above me yes <laughs> but he was in your direct chain of command darla i know <gasps> i know oh for Is those of us no-no? who, have, who yes. for those of us who are around the military we know what that means it meant we were both getting out of the military that's right, <laughs> right? Yes, that's exactly so, what that and you means. make those decisions they're life-altering yes and, and can we okay. are we allowed to hear that story of how you met it's a long story. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Okay. So I am in Germany. This is romantic. We have to hear this. Okay, go okay, ahead. Okay, so I'm in Germany as a lieutenant. Okay. And I am running what was called the uh, Palace Guard. So it, for those who don't know military, it's you're guarding all the top rank. Huge building. It had three restaurants. It had a gymnasium. It had this huge rotunda. Um, it was being bombed by the Bader Meinhof gang every other week, it seemed. And so I had a briefcase bomb detection kit, mm. which I was never going to use. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it was cool but to hey, have it. it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. <laughs> so they decided I needed a bomb dog. 
which was a good thing. But in the meantime, because it takes several weeks, months, to train one at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, I borrowed one, or my boss did, Colonel Isaacson, borrowed one from then 7th Corps, which is down in Heidelberg. And the dog came up, and we're doing great. He was a little nervous on them slippery floors, but he was getting used to it. And he got an abscess tooth, and he went to the vet, and he died on the table. Very expensive dog. So I go to my boss, and I say, Colonel Isaacson, the dog died. And he says, well, you're going to call Greenwald and tell him. And I was like, I don't know Colonel Greenwald. He said, I think you're you're going to have to let him know. I said, oh, man. So anyway, fast forward to a few years later. I get assigned to the correctional activity in Fort Riley, Kansas. This is a year, maybe year and a half later I go in to meet the brigade commander and Colonel Greenwald reaches his hand out and says "Uh, you're the one who killed my dog (gasps) and I said not exactly I remember it differently (laughs) (laughs) so that was really how we that was how you met met. you guys decide at one point that you're going to exit the military he retired uh before I separated Okay. From the military. And then And then you guys get married, and then you leave. Correct. And then you're working together now in the Department of Corrections, but he can't be your boss there either, right? Correct. Okay, so are you guys in two different prisons, or how is that? Well, no, I was in training, separate chain of command. Oh, okay. He was in, he was a deputy warden at that time, or warden. Deputy so warden. you were training, at this point, you were training officers to work in Correct. the um, facilities, and then yes. he was actually a warden over Correct. a prison. Okay. Correct. So tell us about the difference. Like, what's the difference between what you saw in the Arizona Corrections facilities and then what you experienced well, as in I the military? Well, as I said, uh, the military offenders are very polite. Mm-hmm. They're still saluting you, and, you know, they have that little motto, it's just, no slack when they salute you and you go back and say salute back and say but we're fair you know it's all very yes. very accommodating and whatnot not so in the state system okay they have different names for you <laughs> rarely so, was i called warden so can give you us say the, those names can you say <laughs> those no, names out no, loud no, okay no and no, you're also nice. this is also nice. men and women or just well, women or um, what were the, you we were we were at that point down in Douglas, Arizona, which is on the New Mex or on the Mexico kind of New Mexico border. It's down in that corner mm-hmm. of the the east southeast corner of Arizona. And um it was all males in the three facilities that are there. And so it was all male inmates that I interacted with on that. So how was that working as a working in a correctional facility with all male inmates? As an um, officer who was female. Well, I wasn't an officer, so I was oh. I was not in uniform and, and inmates deal with you differently if you're not in uniform. Oh interesting. Too. It's just a normal reaction that they have. So um so, you know, it was good. I was only there for I don't know not very long and I was promoted to training statewide and so I was then supervising all the training officers okay and all the different complexes so then I was traveling to their 10 complexes as I mentioned and so I was traveling around and talking to the training officers so I didn't do a lot of inmate interaction more officer interaction 
until I decided to go and interview for a warden's position. It was associate warden over a small uh, DWI facility, driving while intoxicated. Arizona has a statute, or did, that if you were convicted three times of driving while intoxicated, you have an automatic prison time of six months. Mm. And so that's all the offenders we had on this facility. They were all DWI offenders, short-term, high programming, high work areas. So we sent a lot of them out to the community. Uh, They worked at the landfill. They worked at the waterworks department. They worked at DPS washing cars, you know, uh, Department of Public Safety, all those different things. So there were 350, I think, Mm. on that unit. So are you still at this point, are you still feeling kind of the same sense of call that you said kind of changed your life before? So a lot of programming, we're still, you know, very concentrating a lot on, you know, what's going to change this person's uh, behavior. So looking at those different facility, our different programming opportunities. But I will say about this time, I got real caught up in, this is going to be a fun career, and I'm going to go for all I can go for. So that's what I started doing. Because my husband said, I've had my career. You do whatever you want to do. And so at that point, I started my path of 14 jobs and 16 years, I think, with the Department of Corrections in Arizona up until I was a warden over a large female, a large facility that we were transitioning to all female. Mm-hmm. So I went through the DWI unit. The I had a women's unit. Um, Are they meaner than the men's? No. Mm-mm. More civil? Different. In but I, they're not, they're not, well, let's put it this way. If I got a call at two in the morning on a male facility, I'm wondering who stabbed who, you know, mm-hmm. what happened, you know, where's the fight, you know, mm-hmm. it, are my officers okay? When I got a call at two in the morning on the women's unit, it was Mary had her baby. Oh. <laughs> Okay, that's a good way to, and you're like, yeah, that's good. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay, you know? yeah, so, right. Totally different. Mm-hmm. I could walk a mail yard of 500 inmates in an hour, tour every dorm, talk to people. It took me three hours to tour the same size women's unit. Because they all want to talk to you. They all want to talk. <laughs> they want to show you pictures of their kids. Mm-hmm. They want to talk about their moms. They want to talk about all kinds of stuff. So there's a very verbal, you know, if you say to a, to men, lock up, we're going to have to do so-and-so, they do it. Mm-hmm. If you say to the women's unit, y'all lock up, we're going to have to do so-and-so, they say, why? <laughs> they wanted to converse. And you say, lock down. <laughs> why? Well, are you a believer at this point? Have you been a believer? You know, I was baptized uh, in high school okay. at a cowboy a cowboy church up in Oklahoma uh, and I think you know I, I did church off and on mm-hmm. in high school but when my father passed I was really angry mm. so I was not following anything at this point in terms of um, you know going to church or 
reading the Bible or mm-hmm. doing any of that. So uh, I was pretty much just focused on me. You. As me. you're working your way up this yep. ladder. Me. Okay. Me. I don't even know that I thought of my husband that much, you know, because yeah. he was just along for the ride. Yeah. So. Which he told you he was willing to do that. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. That's true. <laughs> Tell me some of the good escapes that have taken place. And I say that because when we were talking before, she made a comment about, um, you know, she's been in the press mm. in Arizona because they'll, somebody yeah. will get out and she has to go on the news and say, well, this is what happened or this was didn't happen. And so, yeah, you have some of those stories, I'm sure. I do. I was at the women's mm-hmm. facility that I was telling you about. And at that point, we had all of the women uh, who were serious offenders in one facility um, with some security, but I would not call it. You know, having run death it's row, maximum. <laughs> having run death row, and and the special management unit, it was not a uh, a lockdown type facility. So I had been there maybe a month when one of the women, I can't remember her name now, Carol something, walked out the front door in a made uh, a nurse a nurse's smock made of a sheet sewn together she was a very litigious inmate and so staff were kind of afraid to uh, interact with her because she would die I'm gonna sue you and she kept her legal boxes she would get them out of storage and then she would put them back every night because they could only have so much in their cell and she was uh, making this smock and they never caught it and uh, she went out the sally port which is a you know what a sally port is no, it's um, you. You go into a. There's a door that opens. You go into a room, and you are identified before the second door opens, letting oh, you okay. out. Oh, so okay. you're. It's a secure holding area, mm-hmm. so you can make sure that the right people are coming and going. And they do that with vehicles as well in larger sally ports. But anyway, she walked out through the sally port with about six nurses, and nobody said a word. I mean, the nurses didn't know who she was. The staff member who was checking the identification um, was busy flirting with the nurse, I think. So he didn't <laughs> notice that she had a picture of John Benet Ramsey's mother on the ID. So uh, she lady. was she was in prison in Arizona for attempted murder, but she had a pending charge out of Colorado for murder. Mm. She would. Um, uh, become someone's caregiver and then she had kind of gained their trust and then ended up killing Killing them but uh, anyway so she walked out and so the press showed up and so they're asking tough questions oddly enough two months later she was found at the uh, university of arizona's law library two months sleeping on a on the floor or something i can't remember whatever yeah okay give me one more what's another one same facility, same unit, but now it's switched to men. Okay. And we have all women in the in the larger perimeter, but we had male inmates in this outside unit that did all of our work and those things. Worked so on the yard and the they worked on the mm-hmm, yard, and so they worked and... in the motor pool. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of my deputy warden's cars had been stole it and they needed to replace the radio and whatnot in it and so the motor pool supervisor called me and he said 
Warden, do you know if Madeline picked her car up? And I said, why would I know that, Archie? <laughs> he said, well, it was here a minute ago. I said, hmm, now where are the inmates? And he said, well, they've all gone back to the unit. I said, okay. So I called the deputy warden who was running the unit, and I said, uh, have the inmates checked in? She said, yes. I said, are they all back? She checked on the radio and came back and said, yes, they're all back. I said, I want you to get eyes on. He told me what inmate had been working on the vehicle. I said, I want you to get your eyes on this guy and call me back. 30 minutes go by, and she, she calls and says, well, we didn't quite find him. I said, okay. So, Are you really this calm when this is happening? Well, you have to be right. You have to be calm. Yeah, you're not. Like, I don't think you, you have a choice. You lost somebody. You let her get out. I'm sorry. I feel it's, like you might want to raise your voice. It's him. him. You lost. You lost him. <laughs> he got out. So then we get the rest of the story. So I had to call DPS and say, you know, the car you just found, Department of Public Safety. Mm -hmm. The good news is you found it once. <laughs> The bad news is it's gone again. And, and we uh, need you to find yeah, it because there's some that are in there we again. need to find. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, so I called my boss and I said, you know, this guy took off in a car and whatnot. He says, okay. He said, do you know what he's in for? And I'm, I said, I'm looking it up. I pull him up on my computer because you could look at all the inmate information. And I said, it says he's in for theft. He said, I'm looking at the hard copy file, which he had pulled from records. He said, you know what he stole? A car. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Not, not just one car. He had like 12 cats wow. of Grand Theft Auto. This was a profession truly yes, for him. Yes, yes. So reporter showed up and started talking about, you know, what was this guy in for? He had not done his research, which was really good. Because I said theft. And he said, oh, and I said, but let me talk to you about our programming. You know, we have them out there working in the motor pool so that they can gain a useful, employable Because they train skill. you on media relations to be awarded <laughs> at a prison, I am sure. Did you have training classes on media? Yes, I yes. did. Yes, lots of them. So. And uh, we found him six hours later in Yuma, which is where he lived. So Aww, he, was he was just trying to go visit. Actually, he was. He had less than six months on his sentence. Why would and see? Why would you mess up? Mess yes. that up like that? Because how much time did he get added for? Seven years. To me, that the reason is because they are ill-equipped to re-enter society. So if the only thing you know is twenty years of prison life, hmm. and suddenly you're going to be thrown out, think about what's happened in twenty years. So you're thinking it's more of a. He did it on purpose because he absolutely. wanted to stay. Well, absolutely, he did it on purpose. Aww. Yeah, and he like did, I mean, because he, he knew did he did nothing seven but years. go right back to where he was originally arrested, and for. so he could get found. So, yeah. So, yeah. In that case, the rehabilitation part doesn't work, does it? Because that's correct. So, when did it change for you as far as your personal walk with the Lord? You're doing this. You're seeing all this. Mm -hmm. Like your life, I think, I'm sure it has to be impacted yeah. by the people so, you're re interacting yep. with. So I run um, different units as I go up the chain of command. A uh, heavy medium yard with a large disturbance, 
uh, I think we life flighted seven inmates out. I mean, because there was a big kind all of riot kinds of stuff pre- going. Okay. Yep. So I run. I end up running uh, death uh, the unit special management unit with death row. Mm. Um, we have all kinds of behavioral issues there, and you know different things going on. I, then I get promoted to the warden of the. Uh, Winslow unit, which is Winslow, Arizona. So I, I love the song, you know, standing on the corner. And um, that's an all male with with a uh, also a unit in Apache, which is on the New Mexico border off of uh, in the White Mountains. So I have to go over there pretty once in a while. Yeah, it's very pretty up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, really loved running that uh, complex. I did have one escape from that complex. How bad was it? Well, the guy went over the visitation unit, um, went under the microwave beam, and the only thing that probably saved me, we had not had an escape in the in the department in four years until that escape. Oh. And uh, when I did the research on the microwave, uh, that's up there the alarm never went off because the microwave heads uh, were sending out an elliptical beam which meant you had a gap up next to the head in the wall Mm. where it was mounted and we knew that because it was in a report that was given to the warden previous to me and it was never fixed and that warden was now my boss so so that's so it quickly went uh-huh. away. Yeah. So did uh-huh. the inmate know that the inmate figured that out? They just happened to try that at that particular that's time, correct. and so it just they worked. got lucky. They got lucky. but we caught him within two hours on his way to Flagstaff oh, on the wow. top of a train. So yeah, on we had him back real quick. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff that helps whenever there's a an escape. You have escape teams. You have yeah. The perimeter mm-hmm. has a drag on it so that there's soft sand yes. so that when they Oh, wow. You can see you can mm-hmm. see their direction. Y'all are so smart. So smart. Well, and I'm sure that attempts and escapes happen a lot more even than we think, right? Just because I mean, these people there's a lot of people mm-hmm. in prisons. Yeah. So yep. you're working now then at this facility. So I go to Winslow and then from Winslow I went to Perryville outside of Phoenix. The whole time my husband's been living in Phoenix, by the way, as I moved around to all these different prisons. Uh, up in Winslow, we had a cabin up on the Mogollon Rim, and we would oh, meet on the weekends there. And so then, when I came back to Perryville, I you know came back home. He at that time uh, he had gone to central office in different positions. He kept his last name. I had my last name. A lot of people didn't even know we were married, so mm. it was convenient. Worked well. Yeah. Uh, so I go to Perryville, and it is currently one one unit of, of women and three units of men and we're going to transfer all the women from around the state into that one complex because sadly we finally have enough women to, to fill, fill up a whole complex so oh. we close the women in tucson we close the women in florence and we move everybody in and and also in phoenix we move them all in mm. so we had to retrain the staff to work with women and do all kinds of stuff with that so and that was my last assignment with the Department of Corrections. I think at this point, I had been watching my sister. She had been married to uh, her high school sweetheart for 20-something years. I can't remember how many. 
uh, and got divorced and was extremely angry over that, which is understandable. Uh, she, she likes to say uh, she enjoyed uh, being married, and he obviously didn't because he, he, mm-hmm. <laughs> he wasn't faithful. So, mm-hmm. uh, But I noticed a change in her mm-hmm. and her behavior and her attitude. And uh, I was like, wow, what's up with that? And so I, as we started spending more time together, uh, I became more aware of her walk with the Lord, her ability to forgive him and to move forward was so impressive to me. I was like, wow, what's doing that? What allowed that to happen? And, you know, I think it was her walk with the Lord. I mean, I know that. Mm -hmm. And so then I start listening to Christian music on the way to work. It's the weirdest thing. And the song came on that said, God move or move me. Mm. And I realized I needed to do something different. Oh. Yep, there you go. That's your Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. Um, the department, as a lot of different states, was very punitive to inmates. Mm. Like you could not call them Mr. or Miss. You had to say inmate Smith. Um, we did some things in the department that I was like, why are we doing this? And if there was an action they wanted to take because of some inappropriate behavior at, say, a maximum security or heavy medium, they would take that action throughout the system. And so if you're somebody who has worked really hard to reprogram and try to change your life, you're getting treated the same way as... People who aren't. Right. Which to me made no sense. Mm -hmm. So... I start questioning different things. And, uh, you know, I just realized that maybe that was not as good a fit as I had thought. Um, Sounds like things started weighing more heavily on you, yeah, too, right? Yeah, you start. And, and then we started kind of treating our staff that way. Because once you get that culture mm. of, you know, I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. I can do to you whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of bleeds over into the staff. Mm-hmm. And that warden, deputy warden who had that car stolen, they wanted me to give her some disciplinary. And I was like, but it wasn't her. Someone stole her car. It's not yeah. like she gave her car to Right. Right. And uh, as I, when I resigned, I left that land on my desk, that, <laughs> that letter. I never gave it to her. Mm. Um, so it just was, you know, I started to say, is this really a good fit for mm-hmm. me and you know um you maybe act, not well and then you also have a heart for people still in the system mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. so much so that you're trying to get into a prison down outside of austin san antonio right austin, austin. well so as i'm going through my dilemma of what to do i have some friends who are in an organization called the uh Women's Executive. Executive? Yeah. Association of Women Executives in Corrections. Oh, a long name. Uh, And they're nationwide. So I have a lot of different friends. And so I had gone to look at a women's prison up in Idaho. And uh, like for a job? Yeah. Okay. And so um, while I'm 
thinking, uh, I get a call from Texas, another friend of mine, good mentor of mine who's since passed from breast cancer, but she says, I heard you're looking for a job. And she said, uh, why don't you come talk to a friend of mine here in Texas who's working for a private prison in Dallas? Uh, and I said, okay. So I flew out and I interviewed. And uh, they were really nice, downtown Dallas. And Don um, was good with coming down here to Texas. No, he wasn't. No, You Don, had to convince him. Yeah, Don said why are you taking a demotion and a pay cut and all this other stuff? And I said, well, I think it's just time. So y'all moved to Dallas then. So he does, Don does end up following you or no? Okay. No, he didn't move to Dallas. I moved in with Cindy. Okay. The first time. Okay. I call her up and I say. Cindy, her sister. Sister Cindy. Cindy. And I say, hey, can I bunk in for a while? I got a job there. And she's like, what? Sure. You know, so anyway. So I'm working in downtown Dallas at what used to be, it's no longer open, it was the uh, Dawson State Jail. Mm. I really enjoyed working there, except it was five floors of women and five floors of men. Because the jail is a lot different than a big correctional facility. It was a two-year, yeah, it was like a two-year sentence to Mm -hmm. get there, but we called it. Is that a Mahat mess? It sounds like. Yes, am I tracking right? We called it the convictiminium. What did you see that worked? And what did you see that didn't work? Like, and how did that impact you? So I'm working for the state. Then I Mm -hmm. go to work for a private company. And this private company, and the reason, you know, and I could have gone, I had like, I could have gone to another state. I could have gone uh, to two other. You had other options. Other options, two other private companies. The reason I went with Management and Training Corporation, they do... They were founded actually running Job Corps centers mm-hmm. for kids, right? And they run those all over the United States very successfully. So they took that same kind of principle of change and started running prisons, mostly minimum custody. Um, and what I saw was a company, and it was founded by an educator, what I saw was a company that was willing to put the assets into the mission to gain the success. And they actually measured my success on the inmate's success. So that part worked in that particular facility because they were willing to do that is what you're saying. Well, it works in this company. Okay. So they run several now. Uh, correctional facilities they run state they run federal they run county in different places all over the United States and the attitude and the culture that is set up by this company is markedly different than anything I saw even in the military though I thought that was pretty good and different than any other state facility I've ever been in the culture and they have an acronym for for it it's called bionic believe it or not i care Mm. is is trained into the staff at all levels whether you're security whether you're food service whether you're medical whether you're teachers whether you're counselors doesn't matter we're all 
moving toward one goal, and that is impacting offenders in a positive way because they're going to change in prison. It's going to change them. They're going to go one way or the other. That's right. So you have an opportunity to give them opportunities to change in a very positive way. The culture that is set up, whether it's a programming facility uh, like substance abuse and you're strictly focusing on that, or whether it's a more long-term facility, you're not going to have generally lifers or you know some of those, but you may have different programming that gives different skills, uh, say uh, plumbing or you know welding or. But everything that you do, you want to try and have it tied to a skill set that's employable. And if it doesn't have a degree with it or a certificate with it, say wastewater management, mm-hmm. if you get somebody who's certified in wastewater management, they're employable. If you get somebody who's certified in wildfire fighting, mm-hmm. they're employable. So if you get somebody who's who's got a, a food service handler license... license it's it's giving them things that are tangible that they can take with them to be employed and then on the on the education side i was i was judged on how many people i got through high school oh wow how many got a a degree or a ged Mm. my bonus was tied to that Mm-hmm. never was it tied to that in the state i can tell you that mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> they, they didn't even ask mm-hmm. you know there's usually in your state facilities this dichotomy that's set up where the programming staff are always kind of butting heads with the security staff mm-hmm. that's what you get away from in this company you move everybody in toward focusing on that offender and that offender's success so the first thing that I attended as a warden down in Dieball, Texas, mm-hmm. right by Lefkin, I walked into a gymnasium that was full of inmates, and the uh, vice president of programming for this company took the stage, and he was going to say a few words to the inmates. And the first thing he said was, this is a day the Lord hath made, and I shall rejoice and be glad in it. And I looked around. I was waiting for people to go, he can't do that. Mm-hmm. He can't do that. Because in the state, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I was over-programming in the state yeah. for a while. So um, to to have that latitude mm-hmm. to be able to help offenders spiritually as well. Now, you have to be somewhat careful even in a private company. But in the state, it was very strict in terms of you don't get to proselytize and mm-hmm. do whatever so, unless it's under like a specific program and they volunteer the inmate right. has to volunteer for it right right so you know it it uh, opened up a different kind of view of things for me mm-hmm. and couple that with at the same time i'm watching this change in my sister mm-hmm. and i'm thinking okay and you're living with her too oh, oh no, this, this is before you move here no when i when here. i moved to die ball i had to move out oh, right. and I actually got Don to come over to Texas for a little while oh, right. then they offered me a prison in Arizona to build it and and open oh. it which uh not many women getting put in charge of construction so I jumped at that and went mm-hmm. back to Arizona and Don was packed before I was I think to go back to Arizona <laughs> so yeah I was like, well, okay. okay fine so we get over there we build the prison and stuff and so now I'm I'm over 1,500 inmates there, and I have a wonderful chaplain, 
you know, and so I start to see my role as let's open the doors. If you let God in, he'll do the work. All you got to do is get him in there. There's nothing like being on the yard on a Sunday and watching 23 inmates get baptized. Mm. It's like, That's wow. amazing. That's cool. And, you know, yeah, I'm not so Pollyanna that I think all of them are going to walk out and never commit another crime. But if just one does. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And we don't know, right? We don't know. That's right. Yeah. We don't. Uh, you know, I did things like on National Prayer Day, we had TBN come in. They they filmed a band called, I think it was Second Chance. I kind of got in trouble. I put them up on the tower in the center of the yard. All the inmates came out and sat. And, and every, it was great. Mm-hmm. They showed that on TV. Inmates signed waivers, and it was great. I wanted to do it again the next year, and the Department of Corrections director said no, mm-hmm. that I couldn't do it. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, fine. So National Prayer Day, I look out my window, and there's all these inmates out on the yard. And I was like, anybody know why the inmates are all out? Chaplain came on, and he said, Warden, it's National Prayer Day, and they decided they'd pray on their own. Oh. And they were all out holding hands, every nationality every religion so you know if you create a culture and an atmosphere where those types of things can happen Mm -hmm. you start to see the positive things happen so and you're not making them do anything Mm -hmm. god's moving they're choosing they're they're doing it themselves their hearts are moved i mean that's exactly right in 2012 my husband came down with parkinson's Mm -hmm. i moved to corporate so 2012 i'm working in salt lake running programs for the company Mm -hmm. and going to all the different facilities loved it it was great uh he comes down with parkinson's and i realize uh, it's probably time to go home so to retire yeah so uh, my husband is diagnosed and i call cindy Mm -hmm. and i say um you know how we always joked about living together we were older we used to kid each other all the time we'd be fighting over the remote we were old, and I uh, asked her if she was serious. Would she be interested in building a house with us and moving to Frisco Lakes? I was hopeful that he could play golf again mm-hmm. eventually, but that didn't happen. And sorry, she said yes because that's the kind of sister she is. Mm-hmm. And then he passed uh, in nineteen. 2019. Yeah, 2019, and now Cindy's stuck with me. Because that's the kind of sister I am. (laughs) Um, And so we've been traveling and doing different things. So when he passed, I I needed a new mission. Hmm. Because obviously he had been my mission. For seven years. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I watched all this programming in prison. For years and really what and it, and I can't say the education worked or job skills worked or substance abuse worked what I can say is people who truly internalized and brought Christ into their life with those additional skills education, training, programming, or, uh, you know, 12-step. 
that they were successful. Uh, you can give all the other stuff to whoever you want to, and if they don't have that underpinning of something that is bigger than themselves to fall back on, they can rationalize any behavior they want to, and that's exactly what they do. Like everything's always someone else's fault. Right. Or, I, you know, my kid needed shoes, so, mm. you know, and it's easier for me to stand on the corner and sell drugs than it is to, mm-hmm. or I'm not working for McDonald's, you know, right. whatever it is. They, they rationalize that behavior, whereas, uh, and, and they don't accept responsibility for their decisions. What I realized is if I wanted to, I could now share that I want, if I wanted to with offenders, Whereas I could go into a male or female facility now and say, you know, here's what I've seen. I've seen all these different approaches. Uh, And and yeah, you may modify your behavior for a while, you know, whether it's a physical restraint or whether it's, you know, you're doing it because it makes you look good and you get the parole or whatever. Mm -hmm. But unless you have that underpinning, unless you've, in my opinion, giving your heart to Christ and your life to Christ. Mm-hmm. Is that your new mission? Yeah. I, I think uh, what I said in Bible study was I thought God was calling me back to prison. And I think that's probably when Susie said, you do know she was a warden. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that being able to, to look offenders in the eye, especially female offenders, and I have, really have a heart for female offenders, to... Uh, to say, here's what will really change your life. And I've seen everything else. So until you do this, you know, you're mm-hmm. gonna continue to cycle. And the other, the other problem I think uh, that our society has that nobody is addressing, which really is strange, but about 80% of the women who are incarcerated um, have children and we know that those children are at nine eight to nine times greater risk of becoming involved in the criminal justice system themselves so that cycle mm-hmm. that is going on you know one of the saddest things in my career was standing on a yard in Perryville when we had moved different custodies of women in to these facilities and having a woman come up to me and say can I room with my mom oh mm-hmm. Because her mother was there as well. Mm-hmm. I was reminded of just as we're before we close. So James two fourteen through seventeen says, "What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sisters without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead." I just, I was thinking of that just because you talked about just the programming you saw work, but partnered with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so biblical because God's even saying, even if you just tell them about me, but you do nothing, you don't right. provide an ability for them. Uh, you don't give them things that will help them the feed themselves, clothe themselves. Yes. The tools they need right, yeah. to sustain life because Jesus is life. Like that matters. Yes. You don't give them all that. What good is it? Right. Your faith isn't doing what it needs. So even if people are listening to this and they're pulled to it, it's because that is the gospel. That's right. part of it is the action required to help people live. Right. 
to help people have life. So, um, like Christy said, I think it would be great to end and we'll do lightning rounds, but, um, which are just fun, light and fluffy, so much lighter than what we've just done. (laughs) But if someone is listening and they want to be involved themselves, Mm -hmm. so praying for you, obviously, as you're going to start on this, what could somebody do if they want to say, this is a place I feel like I could put feet to my faith. I want to be on your team. Yes. Right. Well, in working with Lockhart, they have a lot, women's programming usually get a lot of volunteers. Susie always pops mm-hmm. to mind is uh, as soon as I met Susie who does the chemo bags mm-hmm. I thought wow we ought to be able to help here somehow because inmates in these in the company are always involved in community service pro- projects and when you can bring one in and do it it's even better because mm-hmm. a lot of times you can't take Right. A lot of offenders out, especially if the state is, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're talking issues. about a ministry we have here, if people don't Correct. know, that we that is by a woman in our women's ministry who builds, yes, yeah, Susie Folks, who builds bags for women going through chemo. Correct. Um, and so those are blankets and stuffed animals and all these, but they're homemade blankets and putting crocheted. all these things crocheted or the bag is sewn, the bag is homemade. Yes. So, so you're talking about using inmates to create right. some of those so bags. So that was my my first thought was yeah. I'll take her to uh, Bridgeport, which is one of our facilities. And we got a program set up with another woman, Pam Randall, who we met and uh, just started getting inmates to sew bags. Uh, we were going to Kyle and getting inmates to crochet bags. Our blankets, sorry, the men, they made some of the most interesting blankets you'll <laughs> ever see. <laughs> they were quite quite good and then with the women in Lockhart that, that's another extension of that we lost everything with COVID mm. and so now we're trying to get all that kind of set back up and mm-hmm. and going and and the warden at Lockhart is very amenable to uh, getting a crochet program going he already has some uh, a woman who wants to do sewing and we have machines that we're going to bring from Bridgeport down there when I get back from Norway and hopefully get that going. And at the same time, I'll be kind of in the chaplain's ear about where can mm-hmm. where can I go and help out, you know, with some other stuff. So, um, in terms of ministry, uh, so I just think yeah. that getting it all going is COVID was a delay that was crazy. Hard. So, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I thank you so much for talking to us because. Oh my pleasure it's been a joy to listen to you i could talk forever and to you or you know and hear more stories okay lightning round questions just five of them okay what's the last show that you binge watched and loved um mcleod's daughters oh mcleod's daughters okay what is something that people often get wrong about you i'm really not standoffish (laughs) (laughs) some reason when i walk in a room there's like i i'm i i somehow give off a vibe that i'm not approachable i don't give the warden vibe i off. I, I you know i but must you're not you're or retired. it could even be the caption <laughs> <vibe. laughs> or the or lieutenant, the lieutenant. There, there's something there <laughs> something. that makes everybody go oh, don't talk to her <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve oh gosh i don't know that i have one really i mean don't get bothered you know, by much? No. Driving? Life's too short. People well, are chewing with their mouth open? I'm trying to go through mine. <laughs> I can see, though. Think about all she's done in her life. The little things that bug up, she's like, those are nothing. nothing. 
Like, you're going to think of something later and text okay. me. All right. She's like, I got inmates stealing cars, people, I know, and I can't be upset you. about that. I could care less if someone's chewing with their mouth open. <laughs> exactly. Bigger each other's here. heads off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many issues. Okay. The noisy narrative is about cutting through the noise and getting to the heart of the matter. What is your narrative right now? Kind of what blank. Like, so blank narrative. What kind of season are you in? Uh, transformational. Ooh, I like it. Transformational narrative. Okay. So you are in heaven and you're looking down at your funeral. What do you hope people say about you? She really wasn't standoffish. (laughs) (laughs) She really wasn't standoffish. She went on a podcast and told her story to the world. Maybe that's why you like this song. See? This is her song she referenced earlier. On the corner in Winslow, Arizona. Well, everybody, that is it from Noisy Narratives this week. We will talk to y'all later. That's it from us. Bye. Life can be amazing.